Let's get right to it. Let's get right to the message this morning. The New Testament, not surprising to you church people, the New Testament begins with Christmas. I mean, when you open the first page of the New Testament, Christmas is what's going to hit you right in the face, okay? You open to Matthew chapter 1, and God's going to start talking to you about Christmas because Christmas is the unfolding of the new covenant. Now, let me remind you, remember the Bible is a story. It's a story written by a bunch of different authors over many, many centuries. But it's one story that all fits together, and it's fit together with a framework of six covenants. Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and then the new covenant, which fulfills it all. Remember, the story is fit together with six covenants. The new covenant, by the way, that's a synonym for the word New Testament. Testament, covenant, same, same. Matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, says Jesus. Covenant, testament, it's a synonymous word. So when you get to the New Testament, the new covenant, Christmas is what kicks off the new covenant. It is God fulfilling everything that he promised in the Old Testament. So no one's going to be surprised when we open the first page of this New Testament, new covenant, and the story is immediately by Matthew tied together with the Old Testament. In other words, Matthew doesn't say, Let's just go forward and run really quickly. Instead, Matthew says, stop, back up the trailer, the truck to the trailer of the Old Testament, and let's hook the two of them together. Let's secure the chains and the brake cable, you know, and when we've got it all tied together nicely, now we can put the new covenant and drive and move away. But we're going to be linked to the Old Testament for sure. Watch how the link works, Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, these next two statements are critical. Son of David, a Davidic covenant, the son of Abraham. So Matthew says, let's just hook up the Old Testament right here. Let's show you that whatever Christmas means and whatever's about to happen is connected to the fulfillment of some promises that God made. See, Christmas is not Target's idea. (laughs) Although they benefit greatly. It's not Costco's idea. Although the parking lot will be full this afternoon. And more power to them. I got nothing against that. I love gifts. I love to give and to receive. So that's cool. But the world did not invent Christmas. Christmas is God's idea. And, And here is his idea. Christmas is God's way of restoring what was lost in Eden. It's a lot of history between Genesis 1 and Matthew 1. But what Matthew does is he hooks the trailer up in the truck to those Matthew and Genesis waypoints and says, this is all connected. This story is all tied together. And we can't just run into the future without understanding God made some promises back here. And we got to, is he going to keep his promises or not? That's a big deal to us. It's a big deal to me this week to know if God's going to care for me or not. Is he going to keep the promises he made to me? And am I going to be faithful to the promises? It's a big deal in this relationship that Susan and I have if we're going to keep our promises we made to each other. Mm -hmm. Those are big life deals. And now Matthew's like, okay, let's talk about the promises God made. He made some promises. The human experiment went terribly wrong. 
somewhere about Genesis two and a half, into three, three right. chapter three. It went terribly wrong, and everything God had hoped for began to unravel when when humanity rebelled against God. And God promised, even from Genesis three fifteen, to Adam and Eve, that a Savior was going to come and fix this mess that now we had made in our kingdom here on earth. God promised he would restore heaven and earth, reunite them, and would get everything fixed. But it took a whole long time, about 4,000 years, to get that thing completely uh, inaugurated. So Christmas is God keeping the promises that he made to humanity. This baby Jesus that we're celebrating, now the baby that's about to be born is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham especially. One of your children is going to be the Messiah. To David especially, a king will sit on a throne that's going to be one of your sons. It's how the story of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi fit into this. It's how David and Solomon and their family fit into this. It's how the whole story is linked together because God is going to fulfill the promises that he made. You can also think about it this way. Oh, my goodness, almost knocked the tree over. Christmas. You're <laughs> really excited there about this sermon. Christmas is also the launch of the last age. You wonder where you live in history. You know, How do we know there's not a million more years of history about to play out? Because you know you're in the last age now. Because Christmas launches the beginning of the last age of human history when God inaugurates the new covenant. The kingdom of God's coming in about 30 years now. People are going to enter in the kingdom of God by faith in Christ. And a new possibility is about to be launched. It's Christmas that made the kingdom of God possible. In the first century, I want you to remind yourself of what what it looked like in Matthew chapter 1. Basically, first century Roman Empire and, and, and those are the events that he's describing. In the Roman Empire of the first century, the world was filled with crosses. It wasn't just one guy crucified in the first century. I mean, there the world was filled with crosses as the Roman government began to subdue uh, their empire and build their nation. But it was the cross of Jesus that was unique. In a world filled with crosses, it is the cross of Jesus that's made unique because of Christmas. Christmas will not only make the cross meaningful, but Christmas will make the resurrection possible. For 4,000 years, there was no Christmas to celebrate. To me, this is one of the most stark things about reading the Old Testament. For 4,000 years, there there was no Frosty and Rudolph Christmas special. I mean, there was no Christmas tree. There was no lights on the houses the way we... For 4,000 years, there was no Christmas to celebrate. As I've told you before, all they had was winter. As you imagine what you've been living through these last few months. They, they had darkness, but no light. They had cold, but no warmth. And the only thing that kept everyone going was this sliver of hope that God would not abandon the human project. The sliver of hope that God would keep his promises. And really it was Abraham's children that kept that hope alive in their hearts. They had the promises. They had the covenants. 
And a small group of Abraham's kids were like, surely God hadn't forgotten. Surely God will keep his word. And God did. When the time was right, he began to act. When history was ready, while some hope remained in the hearts of that faithful few, God set in motion the magnum opus, <laughs> the greatest thing that he ever did. He did it in this first century context. The Spirit of God, as is recorded in the Bible, is about to turn on the lights of the world. world that lay in darkness is about to be illuminated. If you need to step out, just step out for a minute, okay? The Spirit of God is moving. The angels are composing songs because they have to rehearse. They've been commissioned with a song. They have to do the birth announcement. We've been waiting for several uh, weeks to get notification that a baby was born. And then finally it happened. And the texts and the emails and pictures began to come out. And the congratulations began to pour in. A baby has been born. And uh, similar things happening right here. Uh, God said, a baby's going to be born. Choir, get ready. Write a special piece for this. And I've got an appointment with some shepherds I want you to keep. He's setting everything now in motion. God's got it all planned. The only thing we need now is a family. Right. Got a Savior. Got a Messiah. I've got a world. Got sinners who need to be saved. Got angels writing songs. Got covenants have been made. And now for me to keep my promises, I need a family. But you just think about what God's dealing with now. He has to find a family to adopt his son. Isn't this wild? He's going to give his son to the world. But you can't just give it to him. You send his son UPS to the palace in Rome. I mean, you know, I mean, I watched Cindy Lou Who fall into the packing machine this week and get wrapped up with bows and ribbons. And I remember that. I was watching The Grinch this week. Uh, I mean, what, how, how do you airmail your son into the world? You need a family. You need a family that's willing. And specifically, you need two children of Abraham so the promises can be kept. Specifically, they need to be also children of heirs of David for the promise to be kept. God needs a willing father and a young woman to be a willing mother. So God has to choose a family to adopt his son. I want you to put yourself in God's shoes. No small task this morning. You're going to find a family to raise your son. May even get a little more complicated than that. You're going to find a family to raise your son, knowing that every demonic power and satanic force will have their guns aimed at him. You need a family who will protect that boy, guard him with their lives, and invest everything this is a big deal. Many years ago, uh, we, we decided to update our wills. Um, you had two boys. When you have kids, you need to start thinking differently about, you know, your life. Uh, we've traveled so much in our lives. Susan and I had made a lot of decisions over the years about, uh, do we all get on the plane together? Do I send you and boys on one flight, me on another flight, or I mean, We've had to think of lots of different scenarios as we've lived out our lives, sometimes moving to nations, third world countries, and all kinds of stuff as we as we did ministry. 
And you need, you have to really think those things through. Those are not small decisions, you know. Uh, when we updated our wheels, uh, the, that well, we've updated them several times. And just a little word of, I guess, to, to the parents, there are several times you'll have to update them. Usually about the time you're done having kids, you know, you say, okay, that's our last one. All right, go update the wheel. Okay, get all their names in it and make some determinations. And then once they get into their late teen years, you probably need to do that again. A lot of things will have changed in your life and theirs and in your circle of friends, etc. So there's at least two major updates you need to do there uh, along the way in your parenting. But we went to our attorney and we said, okay, we need to update our wheels. And uh, we've got these two boys. We, we, do, we do a lot of travel and this and that. And this is what our life looks like. And our attorney said, okay, uh, then let's make the big decision. Here's what the attorney asked us. To whom would you like to assign the custody of your children in the event of both of your deaths? Yeah. I, I'm going to transfer that question to you this morning. I know it's not a very happy Christmas thought, but it, it is a Christmas thought because this is what God's faced with. So here's my question for you this morning. If you and your spouse were to die, who would you like to raise your children? God forbid this should ever be the scenario, but it could be. Knowing the world we live in. If you and your spouse were to die, who would you like to raise your children? Grasp the implications of that question for a moment. I'll help you. Whose habits do you want your children to follow? Amen. That's what we're really talking about here. Whose work ethic would you like your children to adopt? That's really what we're talking about. Whose faith? Amen. Of all the people you know. Whose faith would you like your children to follow? Recently, Susan reconnected with a childhood friend. And they began to correspond and use social media to to talk. And um, Susan discovered that the girl she had known as a child, her parents were both killed in an airplane crash. And so they went to the family and they said, okay, who, who in the family will take this little girl who's now orphaned. And the the girl wrote on social media her testimonies, how we know the details of the story. And she wrote about the death of her parents and the decisions the family had to make. make. And, And she talked about how God used that tragedy for her to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And she said, I came to faith in Jesus Christ because someone in my family stepped up. I was raised by an aunt who was a believer in Jesus Christ. Do you realize what a pivotal decision that was? An eternal decision. Not just for your friend, Susan, but for her future children and grandchildren. Maybe a whole line of people come to know Christ because of that one pivotal decision. Under whose protection would you like your children to sleep at night? I mean... Do you have a sense of peace about saying, I trust my kids to this family? Who would help your daughter discover her gifts and her purpose in life? Who would influence your son to pursue God's will for his life? What man or woman do you think so highly of that you would want your children to be like this man and woman? It's a big decision. And that's the decision God had to make. I've got everything ready. 
I've got a son. I've got the power to transform him to the embryo, place him in the womb. I just need a family. But what family of all the billions of people that live on planet Earth? Child of Abraham, children of David, narrows it down quite a bit. But who do I want Jesus' work ethic to be like as man? He's going to be the ultimate role. Who do I want him to love like? Who do I want him to walk and talk like? It's a big decision. And I think, you know, we we're so familiar with the story of Christmas that perhaps Mary and Joseph have become characters in a story to caricatures, maybe a better word. I don't know. They've become not human. They're just like cartoon characters or characters in a fictional story. But you have to stop and remember that Mary and Joseph are real people. It's a real man and a real woman, real father and a real mother with real homes and real businesses, entrepreneurs. They're more like us, but probably a lot poorer. But that's but they're people. They're people who have to make decisions. Joseph, that's what I want to focus on in the next few minutes. Joseph has no speaking parts in the Christmas story. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. Joseph has no speaking parts in the Christmas story. Matter of fact, uh, let me really challenge you. There are no recorded words of Joseph in any New Testament account. No gospel. No biography of Jesus. No telling of the story of Christ and his family has any recorded word that Joseph said anything. Now, what does that mean? Have you thought about that at all? You said, well, Joseph never said a word. Well, of course he said words. I mean, sure he had things to say. But the Bible didn't record them. The Holy Spirit chose not to reveal a single sentence that Joseph ever uttered. But yet the Bible focuses on what Joseph did not what he said. Well, here's something to think about. If you think about all the things you've ever said, maybe you've not said things that are life-changing. I don't know. Uh, maybe it wouldn't revolutionize the world for people to know, know the things that you... And maybe that's a way for Joseph. I don't know. But I can tell you what Joseph did, as you'll see in just a moment, speaks volumes. Maybe we don't need his uttered words because we have his life example instead. Amen. Let me see if I can tell you a little bit about Joseph. Joseph, as you know, was a carpenter. You can infer some things from that, especially those of you who travel to the yeah. world, uh, to the east especially, to watch how a carpenter operates even today. With a big axe, a two-person saw, they cut every board by hand square out of a round tree. Just imagine that long tree, and you're going to cut every plank by hand. We've watched them do this so many times in Asia. And then they'll take those big boards and turn them this way, and then saw them into a small board. It takes forever just to get it into dimensional lumber, where we can run to Home Depot, have the truck filled with 2x4s, 2x6s, 2x8s, 2x12s. The other crazy thing is the boards there will never be all the exact same size. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Try building with that. It takes a real skill. But as I have interacted with some of those carpenters in, in those remote places, 
I've noticed several things. I've noticed their bodies are lean and sinewy and wiry. When you reach out to shake their hand, it's it's rough. It's not soft. They're, 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 they're lean and they're strong and they're wiry and they're creative. It takes a certain kind of mind to be able to take... It's a little bit of artistry. It's an artist skill. Here is nothing. Here is a tree. I'm going to turn that tree into a couch, table, chair, or whatever, a house. I can envision it, and I can see this raw material, and I can make it. I, I envision Joseph as a man of quiet strength. I envision Mary. Um, Mary could be blonde-haired and blue-eyed. I don't know, but I envision Mary as having dark hair. I envision Mary. Uh, can someone help me just a minute, please? Thank you. There's traffic coming in the building here. I envision Joseph as one way, and I envision Mary as one way, but I have no idea if those visions I've created in my mind are correct or not. I see Mary as about 15, 16 years old, long black hair, uh, Middle Eastern complexion, which is a little bit of olive, sun-kissed skin, but fair. And uh, uh, I, I imagine her and Joseph in my mind. I think in my mind I want Joseph to be significantly older than Mary. I don't know why. Maybe because he dies somewhere in the childhood of Jesus and we have no more record of him. So, But it doesn't mean, listen, you who have living through COVID, we're watching 30, 40, and 50-year-olds die. So, I mean, you don't know. He could have gotten a sickness or but. We know he dies early into the, the childhood of Jesus somewhere or the teenage years of Jesus somewhere. So maybe I envision him a little older and marry a, 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 some, some age gap there of some year. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just the picture that I've built in my mind. I imagine Joseph as a man of quiet strength, a man of action, someone who will just do. He's not going to be a speech maker. He's not going to be someone who... Write sermons and and authors articles and publishes them on the internet. That's not who he is. He's a man of quiet action. I think a lot of the men in our churches and some many of you listening, even around the world this morning, you're not men of words. And I've talked to quite a few men, even some who are ministry, very ministry minded people. And they, they've, they've approached me and said things uh, almost apologetically, like, Pastor, I'm not very good at speaking. Who said we all have to be good at speaking? Right. Do you realize that's a spiritual gift that's given to the church? And God has no expectation that everybody should be a wordsmith. Uh, God has no expectation that everybody should be all, all alike. And you don't have to apologize or be thinking, well, I'm just not very good with words. No, God gave you other gifts, and that's fine too. Amen. And so I imagine Joseph as this man of quiet strength. He is not a man of words, but he was a wonderful role model. And I know this because he was the man that God assigned the custody of his son. So now I'm back to that question. If you had to assign custody of your children to someone, who would it be? Well, I'll tell you who it would be in the first century. Galilee, Nazareth, Providence, it would be Joseph and Mary, because that's exactly who God assigned the custody of his son to. As we read the Christmas story, and I'm going to read very quickly through a portion of Matthew, you're going to discover that Joseph, because he was chosen by God, faced a very serious 
dilemma. Let me show you Joseph's dilemma. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Matthew's going to explain the story now, the birth of Christ. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Spoused in some versions. But before they came together, those are very important words, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So now they were pledged or espoused or you you would say in America engaged. So let me see if I can describe the slight difference. In Jewish marriages, there was a three-step process. I guess we have a three-step process too. You have dating, engagement, and marriage. But theirs is quite a bit different, I guess, than that. First, they have the engagement, which would be the contractual stage. A contract is made. This is a different world. A contract is made. Second stage is the spousal stage. Uh, Engagement, spousal, contract, trial. So spousal is like a trial stage. So we may be contracted in marriage. And then when the time is right, we enter the second stage of a spousal. That's a trial. Let's get to know you better, which... It's not even the equivalent of American dating, so there's no way to make an equivalence, but it's get to know you. Are we compatible? Is this thing going to work? And then the third stage is marriage, the consummation, the actual consummation of the marriage, and that is the formality, and now you, you live out the rest of your life. In those days, the young couple had very little to do with stage one. In other words, the contractual stage, uh, I... I it, you would marvel. I, I wish you could be a fly on the wall to be some of the places I've been. I've had invitations in Asia, even, I mean, just years ago, not long ago. Pastor, will you come for the contractual stage of my marriage? One of my disciples, I uh, just thinking of him, Johnny Kashong, if you may be watching right now. Johnny said, would you come to my village? That's like six hours in the middle of the end of the world. And I went to Kachai village and for the contractual stage of his marriage. And Soyapi is sitting over here with her uncles and her brothers and her father. I don't think her mother was alive at the time. Johnny's over here with Uncle Horam and his father and Johnny's mother. And I'm right here, like... <laughs> a fish out of water. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening here that's so far out of my world, you know? And so I'm constantly saying to someone, they're obviously speaking in Tonkul tribal language, and I'm asking for the interpretation, and then someone's interpreting, and I'm like, okay, what happens now? Because I'm like the tourist, so you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what happens now? And they're like, someone from her family will speak. And so one of her uncles stood up and gave a big speech about... This is who Soya P is, and this is, you know, our beloved uh, daughter in our family, and he, she's a wonderful human, and, and Johnny, we know who you are. And, and then someone on this side speaks for Johnny and his family, and then someone's moderating the meeting, and they're like, mom and dad over here, and mom and dad over here. Uh, it's almost like a courtroom trial. Someone's a character <laughs> witness, and someone's a character witness, and then... They, 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 the judge says, Mom and Dad, do you agree to this? And Mom and Dad, do you agree to this? They're not even asking Johnny and Soya P if they care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I never heard that. Instead, it was all the family elders 
were saying, we think this is a good match. We think this is a good match. And hands and tea and hugs. But then a big dusty book was opened. The book of the village. And names were written and witnesses signed and dates were inscribed. I mean, it's a big deal. And in the book, I know what that is. The Lamb's Book of Tongue Cool Life. I don't know what that is, but that big book. Uh, that deal was done. That was the contractual moment right there. A contract was made. These two will be married. Now what? Phase two is about to begin. Let's see if they're really compatible. See if there's a spark of love that might happen here. Can they learn to love each other now? And then I remember I went back a few months and did the wedding. Right. And that night was the consummation. So I want you to think differently. That's kind of what it looks like in this biblical context. When Matthew opens, they're in stage two, a spousal. Contract's been made. They're now getting to know each other. They're getting along wonderfully, it appears. I, again, in my imagination, see them walking hand in hand through flowered-covered hills and valleys of Nazareth. It's beautiful there. And I can see them falling in love and laughing and telling stories and getting to know each other, kind of like we, we do here. Growing closer, and hearts beginning to unite together. Matthew's very careful to write these words before they came together. We know she's a virgin. Before the marriage was consummated, Joseph's world was turned upside down. Again, I'd like you to walk in Joseph's shoes, sandals for a few minutes. It's almost impossible to live this out in your mind right now. You're in stage two. The contract's done. You're a spouse. You're just waiting for the consummation. That's going to happen maybe six months from now, eight months from now. We've got a date we're looking at. In the meantime, Mary says... My cousin Elizabeth lives in the hill country, Bethlehem. Hill country around Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem. Uh, before the wedding happens, she's going to help me bundle up flowers and, you know, and do some things and get ready. And I'm going to go down and spend three or four months with my family in Bethlehem, in that area. Go see with my cousin Elizabeth for a while. Joseph said, I'm going to miss you. Have a good trip. You know, and she... Zooms down to the hill country to live with Elizabeth and uh, Zacharias. These are the parents of John the Baptist. That's how they're tied together in the story. They're related. So she's seeing a cousin. And again, this is not the days of bullet trains and the triple sevens. This is the day of a donkey or your feet. And so the trip to Bethlehem is days on foot, you know, and so she goes to stay for, you don't just go for a visit, you go for a visit of weeks or months. And so she's going to be there a while. And after being in the hill country for about six months, when she returns home, something's very different about her. You can't hide it. It's obvious. She's pregnant. Now I just want you to walk in Joseph's sandals for a minute. The woman you're falling in love with, stage two engagement, has gone away for several months. She's come back. 
And it's very obvious she's carrying a baby. She's got the glow. <laughs> she's got the bump. Can you feel that tension? Man, it's so great to see you. I've missed you all these months. Uh -huh. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, what do you feel? Betrayal? Yeah, sure. Anger? Hurt? I, I, I mean, Mary is very quick to say, no, Joseph, calm down. We need to talk. The angel Gabriel appeared to me. Okay. <laughs> so this is the way it's going to go. <laughs> you know. The angel Gabriel, really. This is what you want to start with? God appeared to me, and he's communicating through Gabriel, and here's what he says, and I gave my consent. This is very important, the story, and I don't really have time to pull this out. For those people sometimes who get way kind of theologically confused, listen, God's executing a plan. Yeah. He is sovereign and he is powerful, and Gabriel appears to Mary and says, what do you think? He's not going to do it without her consent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She says, be it according to your word. Yes is the answer. I'm a willing player in this divine drama. So she's explaining this to Joseph now. The angel Gabriel appeared. God said the Messiah was going to be born. I've been And I said, yes. We didn't have time to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? And I've been away, and there wasn't a good time to sit down and discuss this. And I didn't even understand, really. It just happened so fast. I mean, I knew what he was saying, and I knew what I'm getting into, but just it's overwhelming. And you can just hear her trying to explain this to Joseph. And Joseph is like, she's lost her mind. Angels and God speaking and Holy Spirit conceived kids. And all I know is I was engaged to the woman I love. She's gone away for several months, and she came home carrying someone's baby and I know the baby is not mine. So honestly, man, what, what do you do? Joseph's dilemma. So I'm saying, what do you do? <laughs> wow. I, I can't imagine the tension of these moments. <sighs> Let me see if I make it a little more real to us. Maybe you've been dealing with some problems in your own marriage. And you don't know what to do. That's fair, isn't it? I mean, I think most marriages get into some moments like that, hit some situations, and you're just like, okay, now what do I do? Where's the manual? Where's the marriage manual that says, you know, in the index for this problem, see page 37? I mean, maybe you've had some experiences in your marriage, and you don't know what the solution is. All I can recommend at this point is watch how Joseph deals with us. And maybe you learned something about how to deal with a problem or a future problem that might show up in your own relationship. Watch how he works through this with Mary. Here's verse 19 of Matthew 1. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Okay, what do you, what do you know about the character of Joseph suddenly? He's law-abiding, upright. This is law is not just, you know, don't, don't speed and roll stop signs. This reference to the law is also a moral code and a, a, a law of the Old Testament. We're talking about Mosaic now. Because he was faithful to the laws of godly man. It's a good man, honest man. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Oh, wow, now I'm pulled between another set of tensions. Obeying the law of Moses versus I don't want to hurt Mary. Now I'm caught between the tension 
of these two things pulling in opposite directions. So let me read it again. But Joseph, being faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Is there a way to get out of this marriage, but not hurt her publicly, ruin her testimony for life, or me for life, or how can I do this? I respect Joseph for wanting to do the right thing. And, and Joseph's dilemma is this. He has to choose between the law and his love. Every one of you listening have to make a decision along these lines at some point. May relate to a child, may relate to a spouse, may relate to a parent, may relate to a disciple. You'll be faced with moments where rules have been broken, but yet you have this deep abiding love and a relationship. And how do you balance, how do you balance between the law and the love? No doubt Joseph went to his Bible and searched. His Bible's a lot smaller than your Bible. So we had the old covenants. And really in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, about the only verse really, probably where he started reading, because that spoke to this issue. Where Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24 begins to talk about a provision for a man to divorce his wife if he finds any uncleanness in her. And that would have been the scripture that Joseph would have read. He would have studied Deuteronomy 24 and he would have read Moses' words where Moses says, okay, you can break this thing now and this and that and the other. But here's, here's the problem. If he breaks it and people eventually figure out why he broke it, if they realize there was anything that looks like adultery, you know what I'm saying, in, involved in this, Mary's life is in jeopardy now. Because that same law talks about stoning someone for sexual crimes like this. He would never allow that to happen to Mary. Despite the tension he's in, he loves her deeply. And his dilemma is between what the law says to do and what his heart, his love is telling him to do. And really, this is the reason Jesus came, honestly. Because we are sitting in this tension between having broken the law of God, the wages of sin is death, but yet God loves us so much he refuses to give up on this human experiment. So Christmas is about him sending his son to say, yes, I know what the law says, but also know for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now feel God sitting in that same tension that Joseph is sitting in. I love these humans that are made in my own image. They've rebelled against me. I know what the law says must happen. But I love them and I don't want that to happen. So what can be done to remedy the situation? Do you remember when they, the woman was caught in adultery in the book of John and they brought her and threw her down in front of Jesus and all the religious right. leaders gathered around and they brought her to Jesus for judgment. What do you say should be done to this woman who we caught in the very act of adultery? Doesn't the law say she should be you know, stoned and executed here publicly right in the street? The law said kill her. Jesus said, I 
let's love. How about we show her some love and forgiveness instead? I think that might change her life forever. Jesus turned to the crowd and said, those of you that have no sin, why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? Really what Jesus is saying is I'm going to satisfy the demands of the law. And through my life, death, and resurrection, I'm going to make everyone's forgiveness possible so that the law can be kept and God's love can still reign supreme in our lives. And those of you who were facing punishment can go free because the punishment will be laid upon my son, Jesus Christ. That's how we're all saved. This is the ultimate implication of Christmas now. This is why there is Christmas Jesus came down to pay the righteous demands of the law so that you and I might experience the love and forgiveness of God. Joseph has a little bit of a second dilemma. Joseph has to choose between conviction and compassion. You'll find yourself in this same tension at some point in your life where you have religious convictions. You have moral convictions But now you're confronted with a situation where your convictions are violated. Someone's trespassed against your convictions. So what should reign supreme? Your convictions? I can't tell you how many relationships have been destroyed. For generations and generations and many will never, families will never be put back together because a parent said, if you ever get pregnant, do never come home to this house again. Those are the worst words that have ever been uttered by a parent. I'm going to tell you how many parent-child, parent-daughter relationships especially have been absolutely destroyed. And the families have, I know many of them, never been put back together to this hour. Because a parent said, I have such convictions. If my convictions are ever violated, that's the end. Done. Wait, what about compassion? What about love? How does God deal with us? Does God say, Bobby Harrell, if you ever violate Mm -hmm. one of my rules, I don't want you ever to talk to me again. Wouldn't I be in a mess? Wouldn't you be in a mess? So God also walks in this tension where, yes, God is holy, but he loves sinners. I almost feel like God fell in love with the wrong thing. You ever watch a TV show and you're like two people fall in love and you're like, no, not him. He's a loser. He's a bad boy. It's going to break your heart. You know? No, don't fall in love with her. I almost felt like God fell in love with the wrong people when he fell in love with us. We're destined to break his heart. We're destined to do the wrong thing. We chose sin over God. So what does God do? He walks in this tension between his holiness, his conviction, and his compassion for people that he loves. Wow. All these themes of God are written right into the Christmas story. Joseph obviously had convictions. Talks about how he was a lawful man. But he acted with compassion because of his love for Mary. Here's how Joseph is going to solve his dilemma. He's going to put Mary away. He's going to divorce. They're going to break this contract before the consummation. As the law says, he has a right to do. Deuteronomy 24.1. But he's not going to do it publicly and formally. 
No witnesses, no judge, no invited pastor from America, no big hoopla. Very quietly, on the down low, we're just going to come to Mary and say, it's over. You go away somewhere. I'll go away somewhere. Nobody will ever know what's happened. You know, you move to France. I'll move to Spain. We'll start over. No one will ever know about the tragedy of our love story. We can start over in another, just let's do it in a way where your life isn't threatened. You know, I'll give you some money. You can start over. Who knows what all words happened here? But that is Joseph's thinking. He's all but made up his mind. And it appears in the story that he decides, okay, I don't know if you've ever had such tension like this in your life. where You're like, okay, I know what I'm going to say and do. But not today. I'll do it tomorrow. You saying, you ever feel that way? I've got to have a confrontation with an employee. Or I've got to go talk to my boss. Or I've got to talk to my kids. Oh, but not today. I'm so tired. Let's do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're going to have that hard conversation. And that's exactly what happened in the story. Yeah. He's already made up his mind. I'm going to put her away privately. She France, me to Spain. You know, I'm making that up. But you know what I'm saying? We're going to do this. We're going to keep it quiet and everybody will be saved and it'll be okay. Tomorrow. So he goes to sleep. Yeah. And we understand in the scripture that Joseph has a dream. Now, you never know what happens in a person's life and how God leads them through his word and by his spirit. Let me just say this out loud a few times to you in different language. People ask me all the time, Pastor, do you believe in dreams? Do you believe in this? Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in that? Yes, 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 D, all of the above. I believe God works in our lives in all kinds of ways. I think many, many times God works through, I think most of the time, to be honest with you, a whole lot of the time, God works through other people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they may just encounter you and say something in passing. Just they were inspired to say, pray with you, whatever, something they utter. And, and, and you walk away and the person is like, that's exactly what I've been praying about. Yeah. That's exactly what I've been dealing about. Right. I've told you several times when I was wrestling with God about vocational ministry. Uh, I had a career in the secular world, whatever, that the multiple times I was out in public and random people, like like waitresses walking yeah. up, hey, what do you have for lunch? You're a pastor, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It happened to me just, I can't tell you how many times. And that was God's way, in my interpretation. Sure. Amen. Of God saying, you will not get away from this. I will haunt you to the end of the world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so Joseph's like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to it tomorrow. And in Joseph's case, it was through a dream. Okay, well, that's cool, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying you should interpret every dream as God speaking to you. For those of you who are taking some codeine-laced cough medicine right now in your COVID day, you have all kinds of dreams, or you know, I'm just saying, or you know, uh, eating the wrong food late at night. And uh, we have a lot of fun with Susan. If you know, if you know or don't know, my wife Susan sitting right here in the front row here, uh, she has vivid dreams about being a spy. 
It's a recurring dream. She's had them for two decades. And so we've nicknamed her Shasta. That's her alter ego. And some of our pastor friends email her when they email her. Hey, Shasta, how are you and Bobby doing? And so if you ever see that, that's what's going on. And in her dreams, she's jumping out of airplanes and saving the world and shooting people and deactivating nuclear weapons. And I mean, it's wild. It's James Bond stuff in her dreams. We need need to write it down. We have a whole series of books. We all be millionaires, you know? Uh, I'm not saying every dream is God. And listen, maybe God's entertaining you. I don't know. Maybe your life's so dull. He's like, you need some spice, you know? I don't know. Uh, But I wouldn't, I'd be careful about interpreting everything. Uh, in a dream, but in this case, it's crystal clear. And when I read it, you're going to say, okay, this is not James Bond stuff. This is God talking to a man through a dream. And God reveals two truths. Let me give them to you really quickly. First of all, the source of the conception, because this is the big tension. Right. He needs somebody to talk to him about whose baby this is. And if I'm in his sandals, that is the thing I want. Who do I beat up? <laughs> whose baby is this? Listen to the words of Matthew 1.20. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, there's an angel in a dream talking to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, covenant invoked right there. I made a promise to David. You hear God talking, I made a promise. And I always keep my promises. I will not abandon the human experiment. I will not abandon human. Joseph, you are the son of David that I have chosen to be the father of my child. I have already chosen you to adopt my son. Now, I'm going to haunt you to the end of the earth. You know, I'm not. Listen, do you, well, I want you to see something about the nature of God. We kept saying this through the covenant series. Do you see that God will not give up on his design and his Amen. ideas? He's going to pursue you. Amen. And one of the biggest misthinkings in the modern church is, well, I've just sinned and messed up so bad. God just can't use my life. You need to knock that off because that's not of God. Every character in the Bible is so flawed, so deeply flawed. People are so deeply sinful in the Bible. They're no different than us. You're no different than them. And we should never say to God, well, you just can't use me. God says, Not only can I use you, I've chosen to use you, I will use you. I have a way to deal with your sin. It's already been dealt with through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. It's under the blood. There's a way to move forward. There's a way to get your life back on track. There's a way to have a meaningful, productive, disciple-making life. The depth of your sin is not the issue. The depth of my love, gratitude, and forgiveness is the issue, and I'm willing to give it. How cool is that? So the angel says to Joseph in the dream, God's not going to let you off, buddy. He has chosen you to adopt his son. Now you deal with it, okay? So here's what it really sounds like. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Paul's right there. Paul's right there. Isn't this really our issue? Talk more about that in just a second. So as you know, that's really one of my issues and one of your issues. Will I be accepted? Will I be loved? Will I have enough food? Will I have enough money? Am I going to be okay? Are we going to get through this disease? What is the future going to look like? Fears. We got them. We got a lot of them. Insecurities. It's another word for fear. Phobia. Another word for fear. The older I get, 
It's a weird thing. It started happening a few years ago. I'm developing claustrophobia. I get a little freaky about getting in elevators now. I've been stuck in a few with some of the church members <laughs> on different occasions, and maybe that scarred me for a lot. I just, uh, we scuba dived. The last time we scuba dived, dealt with a little, it's, uh, scuba can give you a little bit of claustrophobic kind of feeling. I had fears. I'm trying to figure out how to, listen, I can't tell you, and I'm one of them again. I just, gosh, you're going to think pastor is absolute train wreck. <laughs> but I'll be transparent. I, like many people in the church, have panic attacks. I don't know if you ever had a panic attack. Uh, first one about 10 years ago. Yeah. I woke Susan up in the middle night and said, I'm having a heart attack. You're going to take me to the emergency room. Got to the emergency room. The doctor said, you're an idiot. Go home. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with you. I'm like, oh, I swear, yeah, I'm dying right now. I can't breathe. I'm pale. I'm sweating. I just know my heart's going to stop any second. No, you're just freaky. Go home. Here's what I know about you and I. We live in a real world that's very broken. We are people who are very broken. Right. And the only thing not broken about this whole mess is Jesus Christ. Amen. And he's going to make it all right. He's going to fix me. And he's going to fix you. And he's going to fix this messed up world. It's a wonderful world, but it's broken too. It's got viruses and hurricanes and tornadoes. and He's going to fix that. It's going to set it all right. That's what the Messiah, it's who the Messiah is. The one who makes it all, it's going to make it all right. You just need to let it play out. Amen. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Do not be afraid of moving forward with this marriage. So it tells us in Joseph's heart, he was scared about how this would play out. Sure. He didn't know what to do, really. He had made a decision. It wasn't the right decision, but he had made one. And now God says, yeah, well, just tap the brakes on that for a second. And let's don't do what you're thinking about doing. How about this? How about if God came into your life this afternoon in Fort Worth, Texas, and put his arms around you, and the Holy Spirit whispered into your heart, don't be afraid to move forward. Being a deacon, being an elder, being a disciple. Don't be afraid to commit to a disciple maker and sit in their living room for a year. Be the greatest transformational experience you'll ever, ever have in your spiritual life after your salvation. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to make commitment to someone. Don't, don't be afraid. Listen, we have a church full of young relationships. Don't, don't be afraid to make commitments and get married. I can't say how many hundreds of people in my ministry I've dealt with who are living together. And I don't condemn you. But I want you to be married because the Word of God wants you to be married. Amen. And many times when I counsel with those wonderful young couples... At the root, they're just worried it won't work out. Right. Don't want to sign the documents. I just don't know if it's going to work out. It hasn't worked out for my parents, she'll say, or he'll say it hadn't worked out for my parents, and we've never seen a healthy marriage, and we're happy and we're healthy right now, so why can't we just leave it this way? Because God wants you to make a commitment. That's why. Don't be afraid to commit to something big. It's kind of like those building projects I was showing you. My faith gets tested every day around here. Yeah. Every day. You know, can we pay the light bill? You get a request. Can you pay our light bill in Asia or South America or something? I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. Don't be afraid to trust God. Don't be, in his case, to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So I know this. Joseph had fears. 
I know this, many of you listening are dealing with fears of your own right now. We've now, we're about to have the COVID Christmas. What did your COVID Thanksgiving look like? It looked like all of us sitting at home coughing and sneezing and shivering with body aches at our house. All five of us tested positive at Thanksgiving. That was a very, listen, it'll go down in the books. It's the most memorable Thanksgiving ever because of what it wasn't. Or what, you know, it just it was so unusual. I have no idea what a COVID Christmas is going to look like for our community. I'm hoping that all of you have already gotten and gotten over it by now or soon to be vaccinated. But listen, I don't know. We, we, we have so many fears and it's not just about the disease. I mean, Brother Jeff and I were just talking. He's an entrepreneur. I mean, what does being an entrepreneur look like right now? Right. What is making business calls? How many people in our congregation, our community are salesmen yeah. or saleswomen? And you have to go make calls on other companies or you have to deal with the public constantly. What does that look like right now? Am I going to be able to feed my kids? I mean, I'm going to lose my house. Yeah, it's serious. Mm-hmm. But I want to just give you a word of encouragement. You can trust God because he's got you. And he said, it's an abundant world and I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. Well, God said, I want to show you something else. Not just who the father of the child is. It's the Holy Spirit. I know it's mind blowing, isn't it? But it's it's true. But here's the second thing that I want to tell you about the character of the child your Mary's about to have. Tell you what's about to happen. Let me read verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are going to give him a name. God's already presupposed that you're going to do the right thing here. Does that make sense? Joseph saying, I'm going to divorce her in the morning. God's saying, not only are you not going to divorce her, here's what you're going to name the boy for. I've got a name picked out. You're not even going to get to pick out the name of your firstborn son. I've already got it. It's my son, really. Now I'm going to pick out the name for him. But you're, you, sir, are going to name this baby. You know what the implications are. You're going to go through with this marriage. You're going to raise this kid because God's chosen you to be the adoptive parents of his son. Amen. He's already filled out his will. And in God's will, it says, if I send my son into the world and I can't be earthly parents because I'm a spiritual God, I need two earthly parents. And Joseph and Mary, you are those two parents. Let me read it all now. She will give birth to a son. That's her part. She's agreed to it. She said yes. And you are going to give him the name Jesus. Now, it's a name that has meaning because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Watch how Matthew hooks the truck and trailer together again. All of this came to pass so that God can keep his promises that he spoke in the Old Testament. Remember what the prophet said. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, sex predetermined, name pre-chosen. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The character of the child, Joseph, is revealed in two names. In that text, Jesus, who shall save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, he will be God in a human body. God <coughs> with us. Now, the name Jesus was a fairly common name in Israel in the first century. Yeshua. In the Old Testament, you would have pronounced this word, Joshua. 
you know some Joshua's in the Old Testament. There's yeah. priests, and there's obviously Moses' disciple. Moses is number two. Became the leader of Israel and the conqueror of the land of Canaan. The great soldier, Joshua. Yeshua. Well, the name Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, means he will save. It's a very common name, but let me give you this twist. But once that name Yeshua was assigned by God to the baby born of Mary, once God named his son Yeshua, it no longer became the same kind of common name. Now, it's not that we don't know some Jesuses, especially here in Texas. You know, we meet a lot of Jesuses, some wonderful men I've met. But whenever you meet a Jesus in Texas... Hey, what a cool name. That's, you always go back to Jesus. Because once God named his son Yeshua, it gave it a whole new world of meaning. As a matter of fact, when the writer of Acts began to pen, when Luke's laying out the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4, listen to these words. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. So when Luke was laying this out and recording the book of Acts, the, the, the first church's history, the first church understood, even though Yeshua, you may know a few Yeshuas, that one Yeshua forever changed everything. He will save his people and there's no other name you are required to call upon for salvation other than the name Jesus Christ, because he will save his people from their sins. And that's really, again, what Christmas is all about. Now, let me get back to the conversational side. Joseph, don't divorce her. As a matter of fact, I need you to be a good father to this baby. He's conceived of the Holy Spirit, and you, sir, let me just be really clear. Joseph, I need you to name this boy Jesus. That is his name. It has to be his name. You cannot call him anything else. Now, can you imagine... Probably the moment of relief right there. Because when if someone were to come to you and say, okay, Mr. Smith, you're going to have a son, but you're not allowed to pick the name. We're going to give you the name. You're going to assign the name because you're the parent. you got to put it on the birth certificate and all that. So we're going to name your son Eugene Horatio. Uh, and you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tap the brakes on that. Probably a little bit of sense of relief when the angel said he's going to call his name Yeshua, Joshua great name in Israel, Jesus. And this Jesus will forever change the name Jesus because he will save his people. And his is the name that for the next 2,000 years people will utter when they want salvation. They will say, Jesus, save me. Carrie Underwood said, Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus becomes the name. Now, when people are, listen, you get somebody in a bind, one of the first words they'll say is, oh, Jesus Christ. It just is the name that is required for salvation. Joseph, I've chosen you. You will name the baby. Can you do that for me? Now, I'm Gabe. I'm talking from an angel talking from God. Or whatever. Can you do that for me? I need an assent here. I need a yes or a no or you rattle your head. I need a word word from you. Can you do that for God? I have chosen you to be the adoptive father of my son and name him Jesus. Can you be a father to my son? Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. And Joseph said, I can do it. Now watch. 
I'm, I'm role-playing in my mind. But God, I'm not good at making speed. <laughs> I'm not good with work. Just like Moses. Yep. Joseph, I haven't called you to make speeches. Right. Listen, here's a promise I'll make with you. When I write my book called the Bible, I won't put any of your words in it. How about that? <laughs> we'll just leave them all out. Don't even worry about getting your words right. I promise you right now, on a stack of Bibles that have not yet been written, that we won't put any of your words in the Bible. Okay? I've not called you to make the speech. I've chosen you, sir, to act with courage. You are chosen by God to be a foster father, to name, protect, teach a trade, look out for the Son of God. Will you do that, sir? Parents, you have some big decisions to make. Yeah. You don't think about them much, but you have big decisions to make. And hopefully you never have to enact those kind of decisions. Right. But decisions that affect the lives of your family. I'll give you two of them and I'm going to close. Here's Joseph's decisions. Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. What do you think the people in the village said? Mm-hmm. Let you think about that for a minute. He made two decisions. I'll lay them out. He chose to be faithful to the will of God. He decided, you know what? I'm just going to do what God told me to do. Mm-hmm. And I think the greatest decision that you will ever make and the greatest decision I will ever make is just to say to God, yes. Yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. Because after all, the will of God is what you'd choose for your life if you had the good sense that God has. It's always the best plan. While we fight against it, just I don't even know what we're thinking when we fight against it because God only is choosing our best. Joseph was a quiet man. You get that now. He made no big speeches. He wrote no sermons. But we find him faithfully doing the will of God. Now I've got a vivid imagination, so I see this strong man with his hand on the halter of a donkey walking down a dusty path from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And on that donkey sits a woman great with child, the love of his life. The village totally doesn't get him. There's lots of whispers. Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, he's lost quite a lot of his business because they've been shunned. But I can see him leading the donkey on the long journey. I can see him helping Mary in the stable. Let me challenge you with this. Who do you think delivered the baby? Yeah. Wouldn't that make a great Christmas play on the platform out here? (laughs) Come on, Mary, push! (laughs) Breathe, breathe, push! That'd be hilarious. We need that one year. (laughs) Who do you think delivered the baby? He did. He did. Now, you talk about a man of action. Can you be trusted, Joseph, to deliver the Son of God? What a thing, man. Who do you think cut the cord? From the navel of the Son of God. 
When I cut the cord, it wasn't the Son of God I was cutting. <laughs> I remember cutting it with those scissors. Maybe you had that experience. Yeah. I see a few nods and a few no's. This is weird, man. <laughs> it's slimy. It's, it's not as squishy as you think. It's yeah. pretty solid. They give you those scissors. It's like you're going to cut your finger off or something. That's what it feels like. And you know blood's going to squirt. I, but it's wild. It's yeah. wild, man. <laughs> Through that thing. <laughs> the Christmas story you never thought about. Right? He delivered the baby. Maybe they called a midwife in. He's right there, though. Here, cut the cord, Joseph. Okay, get me some string. Okay, let's find some swaddling clothes. Okay, you know, you guys have a diaper bag with you? You got some blankets? You got? He's just, he's on it all. I mean, he is there caring for Mary and caring for that child. Imagine holding in your hands... The one who holds the world in his hands. It's just a mind-blowing thing. You're holding baby. He's older than his mother and father. You're holding a baby in your hands who stepped out onto nothing and said, let there be light. This little baby I'm holding created everything that we know. Mind-blowing moments. And Joseph now is saying, this is the coolest thing ever. Imagine being a part of that history. Let me fast forward real quick. I need to stop. Joseph and Mary stayed there in Bethlehem for a couple of years. Maybe I'll pick that story up next week when we're back in person live here. But Joseph basically closed his business in Nazareth because they stayed in Bethlehem. So now in Bethlehem, he has to reopen his business with a whole new clientele, start from nothing. There they are. There's Mary. There's Jesus. Here's me. There's the donkey. I brought a few tools in my bag. We start my business over right here in Bethlehem now. For at least two years, they are there in Bethlehem. In those two years, we see He took Jesus and Mary up to the temple for dedication, for purification, for the formal naming of the child. And they dedicated baby Jesus in the temple. There's two whole wonderful stories about two people who encountered Jesus in the temple in that dedication. But that's because his father took the family to church. I just want to say this a few times because a father didn't send his family to church. He took his family. Amen. To church. And what may seem like a little thing 52 weeks a year to you is not a little thing at all. It's a very big thing. Amen. You're shaping lives. You're transforming your own spiritual life. You're shaping your children and their possibility of knowing and experiencing a full relationship with God. I don't want to tell you the whole story. More of it will come next week. But after the death of Herod, the king who wants to kill Jesus... After the death of Herod, Joseph eventually took the family back to Nazareth. This is many years later. Many years later. Took them back to Nazareth. And what we do know is he teaches Jesus how to be a carpenter. That's the one thing we do know. By the way, I want to put a plug in here, and I don't get royalties for this, but if you haven't seen season one of the series, The Chosen, everyone needs to go online and stream that. 
Uh, and I don't know if I can give you technical ways to do that, but there's an app. I think it's on Facebook, uh, it's on YouTube. You need to go get season one or go buy it. It's a great investment. I think it's the most realistic, biblically accurate, up to season one at least, portrayal of the life of Christ that I have ever seen in my life. I'm watching it the whole time saying, yes, finally, Jesus with a sense of humor. Yes, finally, Jesus with sarcasm. Yes, finally, you know, disciples who are all knuckleheads. And yeah, yes, it's, it's a great portrayal. Great portrayal. Uh, and I want you to see, watch the chosen, watch Jesus the carpenter make some things with his hands and his chisels and his and his knives and his hand. Watch him create some things and watch how he interacts with the people. You say, where did he learn that? His father taught him that. Mm-hmm. Joseph, Joseph taught him how to do that and gave him the reputation as the carpenter's son. I guess the new business in Nazareth was Joseph and sons, general contractors. I don't know. (laughs) But Joseph and Mary had a bunch of kids. Their names are recorded in the scripture. I would say this about Joseph. He didn't plan to restart his business at least three times. You don't go into your entrepreneurship saying, I've shut this down three or four times and restarted once in Egypt, once in Bethlehem, once in... You, you know, then back in Nazareth again. I'm going to do it all over again. Uh, you, you don't go into business thinking that's what it's going to look like. But sometimes that's what it looks like. Yeah. Not just for us, even for Jesus' own family. I can tell you this. When Joseph and Mary entered phase one of the contractual stage, Joseph didn't plan to raise someone else's son. Nope. Maybe you didn't either. Hmm. It's okay. Amen. He's going to do it because God wants him to do it. He did adopt him and he did love him as his own child. As I think about Joseph, I think he could have done what many men do. Run. Yeah. He could have just run. Run away from Mary, left her with the baby. He could have just run away from his family. He could just run away to you know, whatever. But he didn't. He didn't run. By the way, running never solves anything. It only destroys more things. He didn't run. He stayed. He stayed and faithfully did the will of God. And here's the gift that Joseph and Mary gave to Jesus. They gave to Jesus the gift of family. And that's a big deal. Maybe it's something that just happens and we take it for granted, but giving your children the gift of home, foundation, love, security, protection, care, compassion, direction, guidance, counsel, teaching life skills. Listen, that's a big deal. That's everything. It's everything. The gift of family. The best the decision he made, the last decision, he chose to be a faithful father to the Son of God. Let me read verse 25. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the Son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The modern versions really help the wording, and we're all mature enough to understand what's happening. Joseph didn't plan to have a baby before he had a honeymoon. Right. Didn't plan to have a baby before he said, I do, and have a honeymoon. But he's got a baby, and he's got a wife, 
All I can say to all of you listening and say to myself freshly this morning is life will not go as you have planned it. <laughs> Gosh, that could be the, the, the whole epitaph of 2020. <laughs> life will not go as you have planned it. Instead, life is going to go as God has planned it. And so Joseph's going to raise a son that's not his own. Amen. Just go with it, man. Amen. And he did. There may be an occasion in the future where you come to me for counsel and I say to you, this is where you're at. Just go with it. Amen. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm not trying to say it's not important what you're dealing with. Listen, this is where you're at. Just go with it. Go with it. The kind of Texas saying, play the hand you're dealt. Yeah. <laughs> just go with it. Is God in control? Yes, Alright, just go with it. Be just go with it. Amen. He may have a different future plan for you than you imagined. Hmm. Just go with it. So for Joseph, what that looks like is saying, the baby's mine. Claim it as your own. Now he knew when his father, yeah. in a biological sense. But he's going to be a father in love and in adoption and in care. Amen. And I'm going to treat that boy as if it's my very own blood. And I'll pour my life into him and I'll protect him and I'll provide for him. And if it means shutting my business down three or four times and going to Egypt and whatever it means, Amen. I'm willing to do it because it's what God has put in my life for me to do. Let me ask you a side question here before I close. What do you think their family said? Joseph's family, Mary's family. I'll tell you what Joseph's family said. You're nuts. You didn't run. From the, you can get out of this deal as quick as you can get out of it. What do you think Mary's family said? You lying? Yeah. <laughs> you lying little brat. Yeah. Tell us the truth. Wow. Can you imagine having to act, knowing you're in the right and you're in the will of God when other people around you don't get it and they say nasty things about you even though you're doing right? right. Has that ever happened to you? It's going to happen some more. That's life. When you know what God wants you to do, do it. Amen. You say, but people will say, we're back to that fear thing again. Right. You're going to have to overcome those fears and move forward. All right, let me let me give you a little hope here as we close. This Christmas, maybe the best gift you can give yourself is just to cut yourself a little slack. Hmm. Nothing has gone as we've planned it. And it's just a reminder that we're not ultimately in control. No. The world is going to do what the world's going to do and God's going to do what he is going to do. We have to just live then in response to that. Yeah. And maybe you've got a whole lot of pressure in your life. Maybe you need to cut yourself a little slack this morning. I mean, just make a few statements. You don't have to have it together all the time. If this last few months have shown me anything, is it's okay to be weak sometimes. There's some days where I just couldn't get out of bed when I was so sick. You just can't have it together all the time. Yeah. Sometimes circumstances are bigger than you. You're like, well, I've got to have this perfect Thanksgiving. Nobody had a perfect Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, I just got to, you know, you know how much we fuss over the cranberry sauce and the turkey and the, <laughs> all the, the wrapping paper just right at Christmas. Listen, I guess we can let a lot of that go, can't we? Yes, sir. You say, what's Christmas going to look like? I have no idea. But whatever it's going to look like, we're just going to go with it, Okay. Right. And that'll, it'll be what it'll be, you know? 
And I, I think if we just carry that into the new year, we're all going to be a lot healthier and a lot happier. You don't have to be everything to everyone all the time. But what you do need to do is be faithful to the will of God. You don't have to have life all figured out. God will guide you step by step when there's another step to be made. And while you're waiting for God to reveal the next step to you, just be like Mary and Joseph, which means do what is right. Be faithful to what is right. Lead your family spiritually. Make a commitment to the church to be faithful. Make a commitment to a discipleship group. This is for your own spiritual growth and transformation. In the next few weeks, Jeremy's going to be talking to the whole church a lot about discipleship. As we get into the month of January, it's all going to be about discipleship. So get your mind ready for that. Re-engage with your discipleship group. And this is the call of every Christian. Be known by what you do, not by what you say. That's what I learned from Joseph. Say, what did he say? I have no idea if he ever said anything. But I know he did some things that were awesome. Took some huge risks. And he was faithful and loving and protect. He was everything you'd want a father to be. He had God's stamp of approval. And he's got mine. Be known by what you do. Not just by what you say. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning. Thankful for the Christmas story as you've delivered it in the word of God. Lord, I want to give thanks to you this morning that you chose Joseph and Mary because I get them. I can relate to them. I can feel the tension that they had to live through. And because of that, I can see in in your own character, God, some of the tension that you have gone through between the law and love and, and, and how you know what conviction is, but yet you have compassion on us. Amen. God, I've learned a lot by studying Mary and Joseph. Thank you for their testimonies. God, thank you for this Cornerstone family and our guests, for our disciples listening around the world. Lift them up to you right now. God, lives are filled with fears and uncertainty, but we have complete peace because our faith rests not in this world, but in you. God, thank you because we know you are the sustainer and the provider of all of our needs. And God, whatever your will for our lives was is to be, God, our answer this morning is yes. Whatever you want, God. Yes, we'll do it. We'll be faithful. We'll make disciples. We'll parent our children. We'll live lives of compassion and love and conviction. Yes, Lord, we'll be what you want us to be. But God, you'll have to transform us considerably from where we are right now. So we open our lives to that transformation through the discipleship process through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, shape our lives. Lord, we expect the next year to be different than this year. May it be fruitful. May it be filled with health. May it be filled with disciples. May it be filled with love. 
Lord, in these next few weeks, may our homes be filled with health. God, heal our people. May our homes be filled with laughter and love and warmth and light and celebration and laughter. Bless your people. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.